Episode of the Artisanal Rice Cast. What's your favorite ancient grain? We're going to talk about them today. No, we're not. Uh, with me today, Adam Myros. Uh, good evening. Shaw Gladys. Quinoa. Quinoa. Yes, that's a good one. I saw a, uh, a a quiz. It was like a Facebook quiz or a BuzzFeed quiz, and it's like, is this an ancient grain or a black metal band? And I got like every single question wrong. Uh, Steve Coleman. Charles Grodin's daughter in Beethoven. <laughs> She's your favorite ancient grain? Her name is Rice. Oh, well, there we go. And we bring it around back to Charles Grodin. Wow, that's some great writing. Some, yeah. <laughs> a, real, a real deep dive there. Hey, Myros, did you go to the movies this week at all? No, I, I did not, Steve. Yeah, oh, okay. Sean, did you go to the movies? Yeah. What did you see? I saw Trainwreck. <laughs> That's the wrong answer. <laughs> Steve Coleman, yeah, what did I know. you see? Did you see anything? Nope. Nothing. Okay. Well, boy, I guess, sure. Sean, what did you think of Trainwreck real quick? I did not like it. No, a little too much of the old uh, Apatow schmaltziness, eh? There, there was, it wasn't very Apatow-y to me. It was, it was not, uh, there's a, there's a whole lot that I don't. I don't understand the critical reception about it. Um, hey, you know, Sean, sometimes, sometimes, you've got a great job, you've got a beautiful apartment, you live in a great city, and you just casually week. have sex with incredibly handsome people like John Cena, and you know what you are? You're a train wreck. Did train you just call John Cena incredibly handsome? Yes, he's a chiseled piece of masculinity. Uh, yeah, sure. He hangs a towel from his dong in that movie, and you see his butt cheeks. Oh, what, really? a, be- what a beautiful man. Yeah. Did you Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Steve, did you see Stay alert. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. Cuff, did you see that? Yeah, yeah. I, I saw it. I saw it. Actually, I have a review that's going to be going up tomorrow, so what you, you, can, you can watch that. Oh, okay. uh, but the other thing that I saw this week was Ant-Man. And none of you guys saw that, but I can tell you, I, you, you didn't miss too much. It's like, you know, think of your favorite Marvel movie. Think of your least favorite Marvel movie. It's somewhere in between those two. That's it's that's it. It's fine. It's okay. Those are almost identical. So. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. What is what is the difference between your favorite Marvel movie and your least favorite Marvel movie? Uh, a charismatic lead. That's about. Yeah. It. <laughs> well, and I think most people seem to find Paul Rudd charming. Um, which I, I guess he does a little bit in, in this movie. Uh, the one thing that I do like about it is Edgar Wright, he wrote it and he produced it and he had his hands in it, but he ended up not directing it for one reason or another. And there's little bits and pieces where you can see the Edgar Wright in the movie, and that, and that's cool. Uh, but otherwise, I don't know who directed it, but it's just, you know, there's, there's not Edgar a lot going Wong. on. <laughs> yeah. Edgar wrong choice. Hey. So, uh, so what you're saying is it's no Green Lantern. It's it's no Green Lantern. If only they had cast Ryan Reynolds. There's always next time. Let's see. The Green Lantern jokes. I, this brings me to a point that we should not be discussing, and yet here <laughs> I am. Uh, Green Lantern is just the the exact same as all the Marvel movies. I don't understand why the fanboys are like, I'll the take- worst! It's the because same. Because Ryan Reynolds has no, chemi- no, no like, on-screen chemistry at all in anything ever. Yeah. 
I mean, he he does. He's got the acting ability of like a, a weathered cedar plank, just kind of laying there, not not doing much for me. Uh, yeah. Well, neither does Chris Hemsworth, but still, people will uh, defend Thor to the hilt. So. Yeah. Well, Chris Hemsworth has big biceps. Well, Reynolds isn't exactly a scrawny man. Uh, no, he spent too much time in there. I was just going to talk about that. Two guys, a girl, and a pizza place? Me too. I was looking for two a guys, a girl, and a pizza place. And it wound up just becoming two guys and a girl. Yeah, what the fuck happened to the pizza place? Eh, well, wasn't interesting it. enough. The pizza couldn't act. I feel like uh, It's Always Sunny should, should uh, have like an episode where they parody that. <laughs> I wonder if anybody would get that. It's like, you remember this sitcom from 15 years ago? <laughs> to see Rob McElhaney's directing uh, the Minecraft movie? Yeah. Oh, boy. Strange. Well, maybe we should get back on topic, guys. Maybe we should. Ooh, but hey, like Ant-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of so, like this, uh, this fresh, fresh, wide open opening. <laughs> you, you like that? You like that? I mean, when, when you start with artisanal rice, you can really go anywhere. <laughs> Uh, well, I I refuse to watch Ant Man. I think I've seen every Marvel movie. I don't know why, because I I don't really like any of them. But you know, society's programmed me like some sort of Ultron. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think Ant Man's gonna break my streak because they dumped Edgar Wright, and that made me angry. So I I'm not gonna watch it. Well, and. and- before we move on to kind of the meat and potatoes here of the uh, of the podcast, I will say one more thing about Ant-Man. The chicken and artisanal rice of the podcast. That is correct. The chicken and artisanal rice of the podcast. Oh, man, there's like a motorcycle revving outside of my window. Um, how so, Milwaukee. How Milwaukee, man. <laughs> Them Harleys. Uh you know, Ant-Man is all about this this guy, Paul Rudd, and he's got this suit that makes him tiny, and like that's that's the whole thing is – these people just like power struggle over this suit that can make you super small and that's a thing that you know people want for some reason there's no reason why paul rudd needs to get small in this movie like the fact that that like well, i don't understand why shrinking is such a big deal so the villain creates this suit that like has four giant lasers and can fly and just fuck shit up all over the place that seems pretty good like if you want to sell weapons to uh, corporations i think that's a great place to start and then when the evil scientist is trying to copy the shrinking technology, he can't figure out how to shrink organic matter. So when he shoots his shrinking ray at someone, they just dissolve into like a bloody pile of spit that he can just like wipe up off the ground with a napkin, which seems like it would be a lot more useful in warfare than, hey, I can shrink to the size of an ant. Maybe so they were looking for like a medical application or something like that. No, well, that's no, that's no, the, no, the whole point of the movie is evil scientist wants to perfect shrinking technology so he can sell it to evil corporation. Like, but if if you're trying to develop a shrinking ray and you instead develop the I turned you into a loogie ray, like isn't that even better? Yeah, Seems but like maybe it's, maybe it's sell it to an evil pharmaceutical corporation. <laughs> yes, yeah. that this whole corporate uh, plotline <clears throat> sounds vaguely similar to uh, or derivative of uh, one of the movies that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, Ooh. it actually it actually it is. Well, and it's also vaguely derivative of literally every Marvel movie and every superhero movie. Uh, but yeah, in in honor of Paul Rudd's Ant Man, we thought, why don't we subject ourselves to watching everything related to Honey I Shrunk the Kids? 
Um, and I guess we might as well start with the good stuff. The original movie, I think it still holds up. It's it's charming. It's got a ton of character. It's well written. It's well paced. It's actually tense in some of the scenes. It looks great. I still really like it. Uh, Myros, what did you think? I mean, watching Honey, I Shrunk the Kids for the first time in God knows how long. Well, it's been a long time. Uh, and yeah, it's, what? I, it's been it's been a, a very long time. It's it's, it's been, been a, a long while. time. Been a long time. <laughs> It's it's been a lonely, while. Lonely. In the words of Stained, it, it, it's been quite a while. Uh, and I won't say I'm sorry for liking this film. Um, I think it's it for liking Stained. Uh, well, the first album, that's fine. <laughs> Are you going to that mud shovel now? No, that mud shovel. Are you going to start defending Aaron Lewis's country career? Do it, I dare you. Uh, anyhow, uh, <laughs> the, first, the first movie... Yeah, it's it's really kind of a cultural artifact to me at this point. Like, I couldn't help watching it and saying, this movie, like, try to envision what this movie would be now. Like, it's got such a, <laughs> it's got such a weird aesthetic to it. Like, everything is totally practical effects. The sets are super charming and elaborate and well-made, and it's just... Right, I mean, now it would be like this fucking DreamWorks cartoon or something. Like it would, yeah. it would just not be a live action film. This is not a live action film anymore, and uh, I think it would. It's not well scripted enough to hold up to an animated format. But uh, it, as it exists now, it's hard not to appreciate like a lot of the craft behind it. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely, and I think more so than almost any other movie from my childhood. I was surprised at how much of this movie I really remembered and how many of the scenes like really stuck out to me. Like there's so many amazing set pieces in this movie. It, it's nuts. Like it, the uh the whole like mudslide scene when it starts raining and the the giant oatmeal cookie thing, uh yeah. the weird neighbor who's obsessed with fishing, like all these things that have just like stuck in my head. And uh yeah, like I was really surprised. I'm like, "Damn, I remember like all of this and I haven't watched this in probably God, 15, 20 years? I don't know. A long time. Yeah, I still think of that movie whenever I eat Cheerios. Uh, that's oh, not yeah. a joke. Every time I eat Cheerios, I think of that scene. That's that's over two-thirds of my life. <laughs> for, yeah, for two-thirds of your life, every time you see Cheerios, you're like, oh, yeah, what if I can swim in these? <laughs> Sean, how about you? What would you think? Um, I loved it as well. I hadn't seen it uh, in quite a while as well. And um, <clears throat> first of all, uh, the title sequences um, were something that I knew was there, but I had forgotten about. But uh, that was great. Um, and it really took me back to like that, that time when movies, like a, you know, there were a handful of movies that had um, cartoons that preceded them, like Roger Rabbit and mm-hmm. whatnot. Uh, it took me back to that time. That type of uh, animation was really cool. Um, I also there were a lot of little little nooks and crannies I liked about it. Everybody's glasses were really cool. Uh, <laughs> Classic <laughs> like, Moranis. Moranis, his son had the same glasses, but then Mark Taylor, who plays like the guy who wants to come over and go fishing with him or whatever. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's like one of my favorite scenes with the like hand signal with the fish. He just oh like, yeah, he does like yeah, he does the casting <laughs> thing, and then he does. I'm I'm doing the fish motion. This is a podcast. You can't see what I'm doing, but like, put your hand out like you're gonna shake someone's hand, but then just move it back and forth like a fish, and that's that's the fish thing. 
Yeah, he yeah, finds yeah, out they're so, not going to go fishing, and he just starts doing it. And he's just like, ah, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he's got those transparent frames, which are cool. Um, and the neighbor uh, that he's talking to uh, is uh, Matt Frewer, um, which I was um, told is Max Headroom, which I never never really knew what Max Headroom was. I always accepted it as like a, a pop culture reference that I didn't know about. Um, but I always refer to him as Proto Jim Carrey. <laughs> I do like Matt Frewer in the few things I've seen him in, though. I actually just the other yeah. day watched uh, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, and he has a uh, sort of prominent role in the uh, film that introduces that movie, The Crimson Permanent Assurance. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Huh. I think he's the only American actor in that scene. Well, he's Canadian. 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 Sorry. Canadian. Yeah, basically. Uh, so this is a very Canadian production, it seems. Uh, but as, yeah. a, as a whole, um, I was going to say uh, I agree with um, a lot of what you guys um, were saying. Um, and, Steve, you said it was kind of, like, exciting at times. Um, I agree there, there are, like, real stakes for a family movie here, and um, I'm not – we're. I'm not used to seeing that. I think there's a lot that maybe we'll touch on um, throughout this discussion. Um, a lot of things in this family movie that we're not used to seeing in family movies anymore. Um, Doesn't the fact that it seems that they're about to be separated, right? Like she's not living with them at that point. She's staying at her parents' place or whatever. Uh, Marcia Strassman's character, the late Marcia Strassman. Hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, the parents are, and it's not. It it, sad, it somehow avoids being that uh, typical Hollywood like, hey, your parents won't get divorced if you try real hard or something. Uh, trope from that era. It doesn't feel like that, and yet there there is some emotional strife occurring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they they like talk to each other about like their um, neglect of the children and stuff like that, it seems like poignant. Um, and serious. Uh, one of my favorite things about watching it um, that I didn't expect from it um, is how much uh, you can extract this large allegory um, beneath the family fun. Uh, that there, are, you know, it, it's set in like a American suburb, um, and these kids are just going through basic suburban malaise, and they accidentally shrink themselves and because their parents don't pay enough attention to them, they don't notice that they're gone for far too long. In fact, I like how Moranis mm. notices that he he notices that the couch is missing before he notices that the kids are missing. Uh, <laughs> That's but, uh, his thinking couch. Come on. Yes. <laughs> uh, but could even yeah. think that his kids were missing. <laughs> the, the parents recognize that it's like their own fault, and they feel guilty, and then they proceed to like comb the backyard for them, which is a really funny, funny scene, especially when somebody starts uh, uh, lawn mowing. Um, but uh, the whole movie uh, is this sort of adds to the charm. It's an adventure of like the most mundane things. It's like this adventure in your backyard, which um, is very much what a lot of us do during childhood is try to turn our backyards into sort of an adventure as uh, an episode of Rugrats once told us. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. At the same time that they're adventuring in their own backyard, it's uh, this allegory about, or it can be read as an allegory about these kids being lost in their own backyard. An allegory about race relations in the United States today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, that, no. But, uh, but 
it literally takes their parents to take a magnifying glass to find them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this was something uh, that uh, it seemed it seemed fairly obvious to me. I don't know uh, if you if maybe I'm just more prone to this type of reading, but um, I was like, oh, this makes sense. It's so so obvious that I'm sure like critics um, talked about this at least a couple. And I took to the critical discourse of 1989. Um, the the most like noted uh, people like uh, uh, Ebert and New York Times writer Karen James and stuff like that. And nobody ever talked about it. It was all like um, this is fun and the effects are great. Or if you're Roger Ebert, the effects are great, but this is not fun. Roger, e- Roger Ebert didn't like it? I didn't look up Ebert's review four. this week. Two out of four. Oh. Ebert, you dick. What did yeah. Leonard Malton say, though? That's what really matters. I did not read Leonard Malton. Big Lenny. Even I even read a birth, birth death movie, his previously badass digest piece. Uh, um, and then the same thing. Hmm. Interesting. That's weird. Well, because yeah, it seems it seems like a pretty obvious thing. Like I, I can only imagine that when they were coming up with the different set pieces for this, like okay, well, if you were shrunk down as a kid, like where would you want to go? And then the, the you know the backyard thing seems like a logical choice. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, yeah maybe... I mean, this is definitely the kind of movie where well, they weren't uh, put in the backyard by choice, though. That's true. They were they were kind of so, they get, like, launched out there or what was it? Well, they were swept in the rug swept, and they, yeah. Uh, so there's a uh, for Myrus, there's your uh, race relations allegory. <laughs> uh, they did not swept out the door to the yard. <laughs> <laughs> moving along. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Perhaps we could uh, like we talk about how this has a lot more stakes than the standard children's film. Perhaps it has something to do with the, the writing, which uh, is. Interestingly enough, uh, this this script was conceived by uh, Stuart Gordon and Brian Usna, who are like longtime collaborators on a lot of uh, like prominent H.P. Lovecraft horrors. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, a lot of nineteen eighties like B horror films, which kind of I, I guess informs the nature of the conflict and and stakes in the in the film to an extent. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know why they didn't, they didn't just put it right on the uh, the movie poster. It should have said, you know, from the creators of Reanimator and From Beyond. Honey, right. I, yeah. I mean, that, that would have sold me, obviously. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so to, to kind of give you some context here, if, if you're listening and you're like, I don't know who these guys are, I don't know what Reanimator is, I don't know what From Beyond is, well, first of all, you should go watch those movies. Second of all, that would be like, I don't know if Eli Roth wrote Inside Out. You know, it, it's just—it's a very <laughs> strange choice. It is very interesting. Uh, yeah, and again, Stuart Gordon's definitely worth seeking out. He's—he's uh, he's one of the more accomplished kind of uh, horror auteurs of the '80s, uh, mm-hmm. a, a step below your Cronenbergs and your Carpenters. But he's got a lot of interesting stuff, and a lot of—I mean, he's not like a visual auteur per se, but. I'd say his writing is kind of a strong suit, so it doesn't really shock me that this is kind of a, a bit of a smartly written film. Now, d- other than the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids stuff, Stuart Gordon didn't really branch out into kids' movies very much. Like He's not like a, like a Sam Raimi character, for instance, who Sam Raimi obviously does great horror movies, but he can also do other things, uh, you know. Spider-Man. 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 Spider-Man 2. <laughs> yeah, there's that Oz <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Oz, yeah. That's for the kids. Frank Oz? No, that, yeah, that was Miss Piggy. Or uh, Robert Rodriguez is another good example of someone who can obviously do, you know, 
horror action, but also Spy Kids and Shark or, Lava uh, or, or whatever it's the, called. Uh, Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Thanks. There we go. Or the Mad Max dude. Oh, yeah. He did a bunch of kids' movies, too. Well, I guess I the Stuart Gordon differs in a way that his movies aren't... They don't have that undercurrent of... I guess Reanimator's a bit of fun, but his movies are generally kind of dread-inducing and bizarre rather than, like, uh, kind of fun romps like Raimi's horror work and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, which yeah, it, definitely, it definitely informs the writing. Like, when I, when I found out that he was involved in the writing process... I was like, oh, that's weird. And the more I thought about it, I was like, ah, it's not that weird. I guess it kind of makes sense when you look at the movie. You kind of just wish you got handed the reins. <laughs> I'd be like, well, I'd really pay to see a Stuart Jordan, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> well, actually, what would have happened is is Nick would have drowned in the puddle of mud and then you know, risen from the dead and like consumed puddle the flesh of, of ants. Did somebody say puddle of mud? Yeah. No. And, uh, hey, Sean, I like the way you smack my ass. <laughs> Sorry, did I say that out loud? So he would have fallen blurry on my end. He would have fallen into the mud puddle and drifted and died. You're saying? Yeah. I, I basically what I'm saying is he could have fallen in the mud puddle and drifted and died. Speaking of uh, abrupt endings, one of the things I really liked about it that kind of was was shocking viewing it from 2015 is how abruptly. It ends once they come together, and then it's like there's an iris, and it's like whoa. In in today's uh, landscape, it would have been like another 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, Myros, you mentioned at the top <clears throat> uh, something about what it would look like today, whether it would be animated or whatnot. Um, well, I love how unassuming and playful the action is in this movie. Um, it, it doesn't seem like it was made like in anticipation of a huge audience. Um, and... Today, I can't imagine anything other than, like, blown-out action and, and graphics and um, perhaps animation. I don't know. But do, do like, thoughtful live-action family movies still come out today? Like, the only one I can think of is Diary of a Wimpy Kid, but that's not even, like, a huge triumph. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, maybe, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. I guess, yeah, it's it's hard to say. Certainly uh, nothing high concept like this. If you're going high concept, you're you're just it's going to be animated. <laughs> right, yeah. It's going to be Toy Story, which is I mean it's very similar. Um I was trying to when I was watching it, um I was like, man, this would make a really nice double bill with Home Alone. Um and then I was like, it's it's also a lot like Toy Story or Toy Story, you know, turn it and turns everyday stuff into adventure uh, the same way that Honey I Shrunk the Kids did um, and so maybe there's a shotgun wedding episode in here. I don't know. Hey, maybe, maybe. Well, and for some reason, I guess that was just like a good period for like thoughtful children's movies with really well fleshed out characters and well thought out stories. Because if you think of the other stuff that came out around that time, things that I watched when I was a kid. Uh, so I mean, the aforementioned Home Alone is kind of in that same. Era, um... Goonies. Mac and me. Yeah, Goonies, uh... (laughs) Fucking Mac and me? Did you just Mac and me us? (laughs) Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, things like that. And Mac and me. Definitely Mac and me. See, this really (laughs) reminds me of that that sort of Zemeckis film, like early Zemeckis, like Back to the Future... I get a lot of Back to the Future vibes out of it. And who framed Roger Rabbit as well. And it's just, uh... 
I don't know. It, I think it's probably more well-crafted than well-written, per se. I mean, it's not poorly written yeah. by any stretch, but it's what sticks out to me as an adult watching it is that set design. Like, when they first get shrunk in that attic, that's just a beautiful set. And it's the sort yeah. of thing that, that, you know, it'd be collecting dust now. It does not exist anymore. It will never exist again. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. to me, it's more concept and set design um, and direction than it is uh, than it is writing. Home Alone um, is probably a larger confluence of all of those things than this is. Sure. So the real question on my mind is, how many more years do we wait before someone finally decides to resurrect Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and do a remake with Ed Helms as Wayne Zielinski? Well, I mean, I, I, I was surprised at how popular like this movie was. I mean, I forgot about how popular it was. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe it does have something to do with the fact that uh, it's unlike anything out now. or, or It's sort of like a... Uh, piece a relic from the past but um, man this thing not only uh, you know was enough to to spin off two sequels and a TV show but had a Disney playground and a move a 4d film <laughs> and I would argue that the 4d film is another sequel sure either way like all of these ancillary products from this one like very like it's high concept but at the same time like I said it's very unassuming mm-hmm well and I, I can't remember, I, but I think like I, the first time I went to Disney World before I, I had actually seen Honey I Shrunk the Kids, I actually went to that uh, Honey I Shrunk the Kids playground thing or whatever in Disney World, which I don't know if it still exists. I hope it still does because it's really cool. But it had it has like all of the set pieces and they're like gigantic, so you get to climb on the. Uh, you know, oatmeal cookie thing, and you get to climb on the back of an ant and all that cool shit. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. And then I saw the movie, I was like, oh, holy shit, now it's even more awesome. I wish uh, that I was, was actually like, introduced uh... to the movie through the oh, wow. Disney World propaganda machine. That's oh, crazy. See, I was a theater goer on that one. I, this was one of my uh, very early theater experiences. I was a dick when I was a kid, so my dad didn't take me to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> I, wish, I wish there was like an NBC sitcom. Uh, that did something in the vein of the Seinfeld Merv Griffin episode, where where they uh, found found all the the pieces from the Honey and Shrunk Kids <laughs> playground, <laughs> put it back together. <laughs> After it was replaced by Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch playground. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, funny you Myros, that. you brought that up the other day. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. No, I was just gonna say because uh, Michael Jackson's e. It, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience replaced Michael Jackson's EO, and then in 2010, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience was taken off of Disney Parks and replaced once again with Michael Jackson's EO as a tribute to his recent death. So, <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Audience no longer exists anywhere because Michael Jackson is dead. That's a shame. And and it's probably lost forever. Like, this isn't the sort of thing that you can get on YouTube and right. the actual experience of seeing the movie, I mean, I, I can't imagine it would work too well as a standalone 2D short. They should have they should have pointed the the machine and the shrink ray at the uh, controversy. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> oh Jesus! 
<laughs> yeah, I would I would posit it is kind of lost to time because I mean Rick Moranis just is not a uh, polarizing enough figure to uh, grant a tribute to him upon his death. And uh, no, and he probably doesn't care. He probably wants it dead. And we'll get to this when we start talking about the sequels. But uh, the Honey I Shrunk the Kids series basically that made him quit acting. So <laughs> or at least contributed to it. Uh, yeah, I don't that that ride at uh, Disneyland World. Etc. was uh, one of the highlights for my uh, little older than uh, Disney ideal audience uh, visit to said park. I thought it, oh, yeah. I thought it was super charming. Uh, it's really similar to anyone who's who's seen the Muppets one as well. Those those uh, 3D immersive shows that they apparently have decided to call 4D uh, are yeah super entertaining, super charming, and really I went to the a lot of fun. I think that's a Universal Studios. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's same thing, right? Well, yeah, it's the same thing. They just they shoot bubbles at you and spray you with water a little bit and, I don't know, blow in your ear or something. I don't know. They don't <laughs> all have hair. Like, uh... I don't know. <laughs> I, hadn't seen, I hadn't seen Terminator until last summer, so when I went to that, I was like, spoiler alert the whole time, and I was really upset. Well, and another thing, I, mean, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but if you go to Michael Jackson's EO, they actually they blow in your ear in that one too, but it's a totally different thing. <laughs> but it's only if you're under the age of 12. That's right. You, there's like a little there's a little bar with like a line. It's like you must be this short. A hand comes out. A hand, comes out of the, <laughs> a hand rises from the armrest and like pets the <laughs> Yeah. That's right. There's only two things that are mandatory on Michael Jackson's EO, fun and thigh pats. In a change of clothes. <laughs> oh, <sure. laughs> Well, uh, yeah, but so in, in the 4D movie, uh, the only thing I remember is, and I think when we were texting back and forth, Steve, you might have mentioned this, but like the whole like rat sequence where they... Um, it feels like there's rats running along your legs. Oh, yeah. It's just it's like air blowing on your ankles. actually. Yeah. Well, I, I was talking to uh, Megan and Ethan of Optimism Vaccine fame today, and Megan was talking about the, the Disney World thing because she loves Disney World, and she said that uh, the last time she went to it, she was with her mom, and her mom was wearing, like, long shorts because really long shorts were cool then or something. And like Jenkos? Yeah, like, her mom was wearing Jenkos. <laughs> <laughs> Cargo Jenkos. <laughs> and uh, during the course of this, they did, like the rat thing happened, and her mom like freaked out. So she like tried to move around to you know because I, I guess she really thought they were like letting rats loose on the audience or something. And because she moved, like the gust of wind just like caught underneath her baggy shorts, so she felt like there was like. Rats crawling up her ass, and so she just like got up and like screamed in the middle of the theater. So, <laughs> and she amazing. never wore Jenkos again. True story. <laughs> My mom once uh, <laughs> promised to buy me Jinko shorts, jean shorts, um, if I joined the track team. And I joined the track team, got the shorts, and then quit the track team. Ooh, you're smooth. <laughs> Were you gonna wear the Jenkos at the track meet? Like I can't imagine doing the pole vault with I those went on. One, I went to one track meet and I hated it. That's why I quit. Yeah, because uh, running's stupid. And but Jenkos are not stupid at not all. Not stupid, especially when they got a stripe down the side. It was like if you wear these really short shorts for like an hour a week, then you can wear these super fucking long shorts for the rest of the week. It's a compromise. <laughs> it is. That is. 
<laughs> I had eight cell phones, so uh, I, I still had a little bit of room left in the pockets. <laughs> Not to get too far off a topic, but uh, since we were talking about rats and Jenkos, I actually owned a pair of khaki Jenko pants, and on the bottom there was a big black embroidered rat on the side, and on the other side there was like a giant block <laughs> of cheese. So, you know, it took some. Uh, <laughs> what could easily have been, you know, like church pants or you know business cash, whatever you want to, couldn't do it. I swear. Jenko's Jenko's at church? Jesus. (laughs) No, I wasn't allowed because, you know, the rat, the rat. I could have gotten away with it otherwise. I'm going to put money on the idea that um, within the next, like, six to eight months, there's going to be a Vice article uh, that's going to be, like, interviews with, like, original Jinko artists. But they're still around. Like, the guys who invented them, they I think they're, like, trying to bring them back. Like, Jenkos.com was registered, like, a year ago, and it exists. And, and you probably saw this through a Vice article. I probably did. Vice or Slate, one of those. <laughs> I can't wait for that fashion revival. Jesus. It's going to happen, man. It's going to happen. Thank God we'll be too old. <laughs> <laughs> Says you. You think I'm going to turn down rat pants? I'm going to go to my mom's house, <laughs> into the basement, dust those fuckers off. <laughs> and then I'm going to go to a job interview for a PR or an advertising job, and I'm just going to take my leg and swing it up on the desk so the guy interviewing me takes a nice long look at my rat ankle. You can see it all the way up to your dick, I think. Yeah, probably. (laughs) 40-inch opening there on the end. (laughs) But hey, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids had two sequels, the first of which was a theatrical release. It's called Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, and it's fucking horrible. It's just Ah, not watchable. No, so it, it, oh, no. What it, the first movie, but made it really, 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 really boring for like a, an incredibly long time. And then they ended up turning into like shitty Godzilla with a baby. <laughs> Green screen baby attack. I That's think, what I, think I saw it. this. I think I saw this movie at the drive-in. <clears throat> well, or an, another good example would be like, you know, you know, uh, Godzilla's son, not not son of Godzilla, but Godzuki. What if there was just a Godzuki-themed movie? Like, that's basically what you'd be watching. Uh, as the resident Godzilla expert, uh, I'm going to have to correct you that Godzuki's like a, a made-up thing from the cartoon, uh, Hanna-Barbera yeah. cartoon. But God, uh, the Godzilla's actual kid in the movies is called Minya. Minya? That's a Minya. terrible name. Yeah. Hey, Adam, didn't you write an article about Godzilla? I did. Uh, you can I read it at optimismvaccine.com. Hey. Uh, you better set aside like an hour because I got a little carried away. On, on <laughs> yeah, you're, you're like master's thesis on Godzilla films. What is uh, it, like 50,000 words? Something like that. <laughs> I will say, uh, as I turned on Honey, I Blew the Kid, um, that it was another... No, that's Michael Jackson's EO. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, Another. Uh, <laughs> we were greeted with another uh, quite wonderful title sequence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I might be the only one of the out of the four of us that has slight defense of Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Yeah, I, I actually kind of still enjoy it. I wouldn't okay, defend well, it, but not- uh, there's a, there's a period of it that I enjoy. Steve, can. Talk talk about Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, because I'm not going to have very many nice things to say, but I'm interested in your opinion on this one. 
Well, I, I mean, the thing I appreciate about it is that they um, they're still continuing the story, and there's still something. I feel that's quite compelling about it. But one of the things I like initially is that this new baby that they have, which means that uh, the marriage was saved after the first film, um, this baby's a dick. It is a dick like baby. A, like a total dick, like, to uh, Nick. And it's funny because Nick, you know, who's now a teenager, and he's fawning after Felicity, literally, in the movie. Yeah, literally uh, Felicity. He's, like, arguing with this two-year-old the entire time. <laughs> and, like, the two-year-old's just, like, breaking his guitar and, like, smashing pizza in his face. And, you know, everybody's kind of like, man, calm down. It's like, this kid is antagonizing him. He's mm-hmm. being antagonized by a two-year-old, which means he still hasn't gotten over, like, his nerd complex. Well, and, and I don't – honestly, I don't blame the two-year-old because Nick is kind of a, you know, a, a smarmy teen with a rat stash. And also, if if you remember, the, the running joke throughout the entire movie is they lock the baby up all the time, and then it gets out. Yeah. But <laughs> most of the movie is them trying to lock up the baby. That doesn't seem... In the first scene parenting. with the baby, he goes to greet the baby in the morning, and the baby's like in its like incubator thing. <laughs> yeah. It's just like it's like a little laboratory, just like pressing buttons and making all these funny sounds. It's like, hey, play me some sounds. It's just like you know, cartoon spring sounds. And yeah. uh, so the uh, lesson Moran- they apparently Moran- learned. To, oh, go ahead, Chuck. Sorry. Moran- Rick Moranis has to abstain from saying the N word in front of him almost the whole movie. <laughs> that is that is very true. The N word, of uh, course, being nap. I don't know what you know you were thinking. <laughs> It was um, so weird when that part comes on. It's like uh, it, it was like that wasn't part of the lexicon back then. Oh, sure. That's sort of a damn Don Imus joke. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it came <laughs> off as. Well, and when it happened, I was I was putting together like an IKEA thing, so I was half paying attention at that point. And then I heard that line, I was like, "What the fuck was that?" And then I had to rewind it to catch the context. Yeah, I was in just case like, you, wow, in case, lot- uh, anybody in the audience hasn't watched this movie in. Um, 23 years. Uh, the mom, right as right before she's about to get in the, the taxi, she uh, hears uh, Rick Moranis talking to the baby about a nap, and then she runs up and says, "Don't say the n word in front of the two-year-old." Because <laughs> yeah, the baby fucking hates naps too. Yeah, he right. does. As soon as he hears well, nap, he's instantly like, "No nap!" Like instantly. <laughs> well, yeah, that baby's a dick. Maybe you guys aren't familiar with the expression "terrible twos." Duh. <laughs> Yeah, that was obviously locked up in a noise-making dungeon for his entire existence. So I kind of I felt like that escape thing was like going to come into play at some point. Like, hey, he's escaping from her. They're going to figure this out. That'll be the key to something. Like, how is he escaping? But then it just it doesn't. No, well, I mean, later in the movie, he escapes by you know growing to. 50 feet tall and just walking through the walls, but yeah, I figured there'd be some like point where they figure out how. <laughs> Which, by the way, when he becomes 14 feet and he just walks through the wall, there's just that classic, like, you know, like in a cartoon where you just see the perfect outline. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and apparently he's got some, like, Ant-Man properties where his strength grows with his size or something because the bigger he gets, like, the more shit he can just fuck up. And I like, like how his voice uh, transforms as well. When he walks in the door and he says, Peekaboo. And then he tears, tears the door down and he's like, I fix it, I fix it. 
<laughs> that one scene when they're in the laboratory and they're trying to pass him when he's only like seven feet tall and they're trying oh, to pass like, him off. He's, like a, he's got a beekeeper's hat on and he's just like he just says bathroom and like Rick Moranis is like trying to get the security guard to like not be suspicious. He's like, no, he's saying batoon, batoon. Thank you for bringing me to your laboratory. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I fucking love it. <laughs> just uh, that ridiculous sport coat, and the fucking beekeeper's hat. Maybe it's a sight gag and maybe I'm gullible. But hey, you know, I I do like a good giant baby. I'll give you that. Like one one of my the the things that I really gripe about when I think about Benjamin Button is why was there no giant baby in Benjamin Button? Yeah, good point. The 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 stuff that I think is kind of adorable about the movie is too far and few between. Um, but uh, Myros, you mentioned the terrible twos thing, and that's obviously like the allegory at work here, which is uh, a lot less interesting to me than uh, the existential peril of the of the predecessor. Um, I don't know. It really shows growth in the characters, though, Sean, because they learned that you know they were kind of absent parents, and then you know they shrunk their kids and had to search for them, and they all came together in the end. So to prevent that from happening, they lock up their baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. uh, it, this just turned into like the the prototypical obligatory sequel, where you know it's short on ideas, has regurgitated plot devices like the uh, <clears throat> nefarious characters and private agencies with slick back hair, um, and it's really not that great past the the setup. Um, when it's trying to be silly and goofy, it survives on you know these quirks that we're talking about, but. Uh, it falls very quickly into something that's not interesting to most of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the third act isn't as strong. I'll, I'll give you that, except for the fact that uh, Chris Marinest agrees not to oh, shrink no. Nick again to let him get laid in the car. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think I'm going to give him a minute. That's all he needs. It also has uh, Lloyd Bridges in it, which, I mean, that's that's good. That's always a plus. I was lamenting that it did not have Jeffrey Combs, considering it's a Stuart Gordon project, and the villain is exactly Jeffrey Combs, except not Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, the the uh, villain is Jeffrey Combs from Reanimator, basically. Yeah, right? except no uh, Kaz, some other random schmuck. I'm like, what? Why, why didn't they just go full, whole hog here? But I guess my main complaint with the the sequel's script is. Like, it started it out as another project called Big Baby. Why someone, <laughs> why someone would have bought such a script is beyond me. But uh, you can kind of... Come on, it's got alliteration. Sells itself. <laughs> you can kind of tell, like, it just doesn't build on the first one. There's no, no, like, ramifications of his shrinking technology. I mean, the first one alludes to the fact that it would create, like, great wealth in the family and change the world and... It doesn't at all, and the script is like reliant on them trying to replicate this shrinking slash growing that they've perfected in the first film. And his initial prototype device works totally fine the entire film, and uh, often replicates both of these uh, things. But uh, yeah, it's just like I feel like it needed a more ambitious like Back to the Future Two type uh, scenario where it was yeah. just like kind of going all out with this concept and exploring what it could mean to the world. Mm-hmm. And I wish it, I wish it would have been more of a domestic drama, or you know, domestic you know, family dramedy or whatever, um, instead of turning into to this sort of large scale movie. My well, question is the fact that they're bringing Amy to college. Yeah. <laughs> you mean you mean the first five minutes of the movie and that's it? My, <laughs> How my about that? No, go ahead. Sorry, Sean. <laughs> oh uh, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say, I thought it was interesting that they bring one of the original cast members back for a two-minute cameo. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, not that that sort of thing is unprecedented, but it's not like this is like a big star. People would be like, oh, where's Amy? Um, yeah. Well, and, and certainly they didn't have any qualms with just like getting rid of characters and actors and actresses in the third movie. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Well, I think, it, like, again, one of the things that it suffered for was, well, A, I just have a, a really hard time buying the continued, like, perpetual middle-class suburban existence of the uh, Zelensky family, but uh, considering the great strides they've made over the course of these films. But uh, beyond that, it just suffered with the absence of, like, that uh, Thompson family with Matt Frewer and company next door mm-hmm. providing these, like, kind of rich background characters. Like, this film didn't have any of that. And the, the just general aesthetic of it was a lot less charming and uh, kind of old Hollywood. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Well, and especially we talked a lot about in the first movie, like the great set pieces in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And when you think about Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, like what's what's the big flashy set piece in that? Like the Hard Rock Cafe. So basically the best set piece is an advertisement for a shitty chain restaurant. Yeah, it was an homage to uh, Con Air, I believe. <laughs> Which, yeah, by the okay. way, it does electrify the child, who even though it is 50 feet tall, still manages to get electrocuted and cry. Which is emotional centerpiece of this film, I think. They realize they don't want to kill this gigantic baby because it still feels paid. Well, it went from like <laughs> from these... Hard Rock Cafe. Yeah. <laughs> so do I. Every time I walk in. This. <laughs> yeah, it went from like these uh, Harryhausen-esque uh, creatures and stop motion design to like this sort of like green screen overlaid like rear projection nonsense. That uh, it. Mind you, it still had a bit of charm. Was a lot less effective for me. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like weird the quality dips too. Like sometimes, like when the baby was really big, it looked okay. But I know, like the first time that they show him like growing, like in size or whatever, it looked awful. It looked absolutely awful. Ebert still loved the special effects. One point four or one point five out of four, though. Oh, okay. Well, at least he understands uh, it's worse. I love how the the baby's ace in the hole was a peppermint. <laughs> of course. So that was in his pocket uh, when he got blown up. Mm-hmm. And a raisin too, and some other shit. Apparently, the baby likes to stuff things in his pockets because yeah, you know yeah, his yeah. parents don't care about him. They just lock him up, and they don't realize when their child is hoarding things in his fucking jumper. Ah, uh, yes. So the uh, the only sense of sort of uh, continuation is that they're still terrible parents. Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, arguably worse. Yeah. I mean, at, at least they were just kind of like absent-minded parents who got c- too caught up in other things, and then their kids were accidentally shrunk. In this scenario, Wayne Zielinski brings his two children to a lab that he's not supposed to be in alone and then does an experiment with his baby a few feet away, and the baby's like wearing goggles. You know, it's very dangerous. And then he doesn't see his own child crawl up and get zapped by a laser. So, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty rough. I'd call as Child far, Protective Services on Wayne Zielinski. As far as uh, movies about children that are hard to handle, it's no Clifford. It is. It is no Clifford. <laughs> <laughs> or Problem Child. No, I won't go that far. That's cruel. I won't say that. It's better than Problem Child. That's the best thing I can say about Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. And I, I, I chuckle at a few jokes. There are a few jokes. The, a giant baby in a beekeeper hat is funny. I don't care who you are, that's that's a funny thing. And then the the weird N-word joke was at first horrifying, and then after I rewound it, it was funny. And Ron Canada as the state marshal is pretty good. 
Hey, there you go. That's true. That is true. <laughs> but yeah, it's still a step down. But but another thing I will give Honey I Blew Up the Kid is it is infinitely better than Honey We Shrunk Ourselves, which is, oh my God. Oh, Jesus. That, that was painful, painful to sit through. But before we talk about that, I want to pitch this movie to you guys, okay? So... We've got a third Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie. Rick Moranis is back. It's going to be his last movie ever, so we know he's going to give a dynamite uh, performance. Okay. It also has Mila Kunis. It's got a script which was written uh, or co-written by Joel Hodgson from Mystery Science Theater 3000. And the guy who directed it, uh, Dean Cundy, he was the cinematographer for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, like the Back to the Future series, and motherfucking Jurassic Park. How could this go wrong? So wait, it's got the girl from those Jack Daniel uh, commercials on it? Yes, Jack Daniel's girl. You got it. Well, it also has, uh, isn't the main girl is someone too? Allison Mack, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a person. There you go. Real people. And of course, Bug Hall. Don't forget Bug Hall, man. Uh, yes, Bug Hall. <laughs> <laughs> who was recently, like, a thing? There was some BuzzFeed article about him. It was just like, hey, do you remember the Little Rascals movie from the 90s? Because now Alfalfa's sexy as shit and has a beard. And there was just, like, all these, like, pictures of Bug Hall who now has giant biceps and a, and a well-maintained beard. Uh-huh. A lumbersexual look. Well, Allison Mack is, is quite charming, I will say. On Wilford, very charming. Uh, but yeah, she's what, what, this performance is very very charmless. But whatever. As far as as far as credits go, I was pretty impressed that uh, um, you know they got that Polynesian god statue thing. Um, I was pretty impressed that they got H.R. Giger. <laughs> <laughs> although although for you know any uh, comedy Bang Bang listeners, uh, you know that he's posthumously admitted doing work for grown ups too. So. This is not that. <laughs> what the Jesus. hell was with that statue? Like, okay, well, a, let, a, let me, is that a fucking plot point? And B, why isn't it just like an Easter Island head? For God's sake. Well, here's here's why it was a plot point. I have my theory, and my theory is it was from another movie that was shooting <laughs> on like the same soundstage, and they borrowed it. That's the only thing I can think of. Or, like, it was some, like, leftover from Jumanji or something. It was, like, Aliens 5. Yeah. So Necro, the, Necro Easter Island. <laughs> the, the, the story of this movie is it was supposed to be a theatrically released sequel, mm-hmm. and then it just wasn't going to happen. So they're like, okay, we're going to do uh, a direct-to-VHS, I guess, at the time, movie. And What's that? Because they had been succeeding with uh, direct-to-video releases of, like, Aladdin sequels. Uh, Lion King and, and stuff, too. And Lion yeah. King. Yeah. And this was their first live-action sequel. So, anyway, sorry, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, well, no, that's that's a good point. So they were like, okay, well, we'll just do direct-to-video, but we have to figure out ways to cut costs. Uh, so they bring in Joel Hodgson, of all people, from Mystery Science Theater to, like, hack apart the script. So there's all these sequences that were cut out, including, like, one where they fall into, like, a fish tank or something. Um, and then they add in what I can only assume would be the tiki thing because it doesn't make any sense otherwise. And they also added a lot of product placement. And some of it works. Like, you know, the, the you see a kid pouring a bowl of cereal and it's tricks. Well, that makes sense. He's a kid, and that's what tricks are for. Uh, but 
there's a thing in the movie that I cannot get over, and it drove me insane. This movie has a fuck ton of potato chips in it. Like, way too many <laughs> bags of potato chips. So, in the early going of the movie, there's, like, a little grocery scene, and we see, like, three bags of Doritos and a bag of Lay's. And I'm like, alright, that's a lot of chips, but whatever. You know? You got a family. Maybe they like chips. Later, the older girl in this movie, uh, she takes the $40 that was for pizza, and she wants to have a party. So instead of ordering pizza for her and her friends, which seems like a thing to do if you're 13 and at a party, she goes to the store, and what does she buy, guys? That's right. She buys, like, five more bags of potato chips. <laughs> I'm and with then, it. This and is a... then it does not end because her friends come over, and one of her friends has a grocery bag, and lo and behold, what is in that bag? Lay's potato chips. Yeah, I, Steve, I'm with you 100%. This is a series that asks you to, to kind of suspend disbelief to an extent. I mean, I don't think Neil deGrasse Tyson would have got by in the first script. There's supposed, <laughs> supposed to be a quarter-inch tall, and they're, like, riding around on an ant. I'm like, what the fuck is this baby ant, like, uh, two inches long or something? That's, I, I, that's a little terrifying. But, yeah, uh, yeah but that... I can suspend disbelief from that. But when uh, Mirandis gives him a 10 spot to go get uh, some uh, toothpicks and they come back with like five bags of groceries, I'm like, Jesus, I, I know inflation, but Christ. Yeah, all of them like, are Doritos, by the way. Like, that's, yeah. that's all I eat is Doritos and Lay's. Those are, like, like, those are like four bucks a pop. Yep. I was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> what is this, honey? Honey, I blew up the grocery list. Yeah. <laughs> I don't one know. Thing the, that the, always the only thing bothered. that's getting blown up here is my is my sodium, my blood pressure. <laughs> Honey, I blew up the sodium. I will say one thing that bothered me. Even I was still fairly young and didn't know that much about film production when I saw this originally. Oh, but uh, it always bothered me that the film just looked like shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually found out that when they cut the production costs, when they knew it was going to go direct to uh, video at the time, they actually used studio or television resolution to save money on effects. And so it's not even you can't even project this movie. So no. it, it's not a real movie. It's just it's a television show that's about an hour and a half long. Yeah, yeah and, after and not only watching... does it look like shit, it sounds like shit too. Go ahead, Sean. I didn't mean to talk over you. No, no, that's a good point. Uh, but it was it was jarring after watching. You know, I watched these all in in succession over you know three nights, and uh, uh, it was jarring to see the you know one point three three to one aspect ratio of the third one. Um, and yeah, that that's a good point. That uh, it's basically a TV show, which I guess is a good segue for the franchise into a TV show. That that is that is very very true. One more thing I want to say for... really quick about. Uh, honey, we we shrunk ourselves. Uh, so we just got like a new like speaker setup thing in in our living room. And the first movie that I watched with the new fancy speakers <laughs> was this movie. And I thought they were broken or just shitty because it sounded so awful. Uh-huh. And, was, and then and then I, I put on something afterwards. I'm like, oh oh no no, it's it's just it's a dog shit movie that looks and sounds like dog shit. So that's yeah. great. That's but yeah, I, there's there's a TV show. It was on the Disney Channel, wait, 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 and I wait, 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 vaguely wait, wait. remember it. I wanted to say one more thing about uh, that I forgot about. Honey, we shrunk ourselves. Mm. Uh, I do like so in the beginning he's trying to get that PowerPoint presentation, and it's just it's not going well. Mm. Um, he can't think of uh, the end of uh, the future is 
the future is the future is and he's rifling through his cards and realizes it's now. Yeah, and he uh, says crap instead. Haha, yeah, it's yeah. funny. It's a poop yeah. joke. And uh but but he does this funny thing where like he he uh imitates like the PowerPoint clip art dude who's like running in place and uh there's a certain Moranis charm to it that I thought was funny um and it made me kind of realize uh at least for my taste um He's still funny in that movie when he's given room to be, and I think uh, there's something... I think the whole series should have done more, uh, which is give Moranis a little bit more room to be silly without focusing on forwarding the plot, especially in the second one. It was all about um, plot movement, and if it would just kind of like slow down a little bit and, and give them a little bit a little bit of breathing room to just be silly, I think it would have fared a lot better. Oh, absolutely, and... This movie, I, I guess, yeah, that 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 moment, that moment, I did chuckle a little bit, um, but on the whole, I guess almost everything in this movie, like the big set piece moments, are all just like rehashes or callbacks to the previous movies. Like the one that sticks out the most is, of course, because this is a movie that's actually a potato chip commercial. Uh, there's the scene where the girls are devouring potato chips because they're delicious, and you should buy every product from the Frito Lay company. And there's this big bowl of dip that they're just like ferociously diving into like fucking <laughs> rabid animals and Moranis and whoever plays his brother in the movie they're just like swimming around in the goop and it's it's very reminiscent of the of the cereal bowl scene so it's just god it's it's so derivative and so yeah. fucking stupid do you think do you think um, when they found out it was going to be like a straight to video thing uh, how many times do you think they said more like, honey, we shrunk the budget. <laughs> I'm sure that was a big hit in the writer's room. Oh, God, and one more thing, too. I'm so, I keep thinking, like, I'm having flashbacks. I feel like a Vietnam veteran. I'm just, like, going back to these horrible moments. We talked about, like, the suspension of disbelief. The worst moment for me was when uh, the, the parents get shrunk and they kind of come to this realization and they go, oh, well they're going to see our car in the driveway and know that something is wrong. And I was like, wow, movie character, that's a really good observation. I agree. I wonder where we're going to go from here. And the answer is, the car magically, by, I don't know, the will of God, shifts into neutral, rolls backwards down the driveway, across the street, and into the neighbor's driveway. Hey, man, she, made, she set that one up. She said that parking brake's been acting up. Who uses their fucking parking brake? Are you, are you living in San Francisco, you assholes? There was no incline at all. If you would have panned over to the right, you would have seen, like, you know, ten stagehands pushing the fucking car. It was, there's, there's no way. It was completely level. I, I think Unacceptable the, movie. I think what annoyed me the most... <laughs> I can't accept this. I feel like the scene that annoyed me the most was the... Uh, was like trying to shoehorn the daddy long legs into the ant role of the film where they're like Oh yeah, another rehash. It's just like, oh, did you know daddy long legs eat mosquitoes? So they're totally not gonna fucking tear us apart. Oh, okay, yeah, movie, it's a, sure. The damn spider, I'm pretty sure why is the spider caught in its own web A? Yeah, I, I don't think they works <laughs> like that. <laughs> And B, I'm pretty sure if you're like fucking around with a spider web, that spider's just gonna kill the shit out of you. Yeah, I, I would imagine. No, yeah, seriously, that's, that's that's like second grade science class. A, a spider does not get stuck in its own re web. 
Which makes me wonder, has Joel from Mystery Science Theater 3000 actually ever seen a spider? <laughs> Plus, they just keep calling it Daddy, and that's just kind of disturbing. Yeah. Come here, Daddy. Daddy, we need a ride. It's like, oh, well, why? <laughs> Those are Daddy long legs. Uh, were, were there any laughs to be had? I guess so let's let's try and find, what's the biggest laugh, Myros? What was the biggest laugh for you? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll come back to you, yeah. Sean. Sean, how about you? Biggest laugh? Would would you say the the Moranis bit in the in the beginning where he's just being Power goofy? Point. Yep. Point? Okay. Yep. Uh, Steve, what do you got? I think the implication when they're laying that bowl of dip and it's kind of like, oh, don't worry, they're two inch girls. How much are they gonna eat? Yeah, and then they're just like, oh, and Mila Kunis is literally like sloppy dip everywhere. They're just ravenous. Yeah. And the dip has like chunks in it. So I don't know if they left it out in the sun for like three days or something before serving it, but it's, it looked horrible. Uh, those are like French onions, man. Uh, I would say I got a lot of laughs out of the potassium deficiency side plot. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> you got a laugh out of like the big dramatic thing, <laughs> like literally the whole crux of why they need to like get bigger sooner. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be funny, but it was. <laughs> I need to eat a banana. Oh fuck you, kid. Well, and then he just doesn't because he's a dick. He's just like, yeah, I have a potassium deficiency, but fuck that, I'm gonna pass out. All he needs to do is eat a couple bites of banana and he's fine. And they're like, how'd you know bananas had potassium? I'm like, who the fuck doesn't fucking know that? <laughs> I, will, I will say uh, there's nothing, there's no line uh, in this movie that's as funny as the line from the previous movie. Listen, babe, there's nobody bigger than Wayne Newton in this town. <laughs> Actually, I, I, the, my favorite line, is, it's, it's similar to the Wayne Newton line, I guess, a little bit. Uh, same demographic, at least. Uh, and that would be when, in the very beginning, the two moms think they're going to go on this ladies' retreat because there's this, like, implication that, I don't know, the uh, Wayne Zielinski's wife isn't getting laid and she sort of hates him, which I don't blame her. Uh, and then the other woman is just like, I brought something special for the ride over. I'm like, are they, gonna, they can't do drugs. This is a kid's movie. What are they going to do? Like, can't drink and drive. And then she's like, I've got Neil Diamond on cassette! And then they just, like, flip out for ten seconds. Like, it's the, you know, the most, oh, I don't know, rebellious, <laughs> edgy thing in the world to have a Neil Diamond cassette tape. Yeah, she was so shocked that she brought that cassette. Like, yes. you brought that? Live at 81, you mad woman! Wow. Yeah, that's great. Great yeah. stuff. It's, uh, it's, it's really good. Hey, Solitary Man, great song. Underrated. Neil Diamond. Uh, let's real quick, before before we, uh, you know, hit the dusty trail here, let's talk a little bit about the TV show. Uh, I didn't watch it because I don't hate myself. Myros, you watched it. What'd you think? Well, I could only find one episode on YouTube, uh... For some reason, apparently Disney must be really clamping down on the rights to this gem. Uh, <laughs> or no one bothered. I mean, that, that's definitely a possibility. I don't know. There's like every episode of Captain Planet on YouTube. You'd think someone would care enough. Uh, I It's really generic. This, it's just like a guy, you know, Zelensky is uh, Peter Scolari of uh, Bosom Buddies fame. Uh, mm, Pre-full uh, frontal nude and girls fame. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so we, and, we don't see his penis in this. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I, not in this one episode that I happen to be. Perhaps, yeah. perhaps Which, in the rest of the series. Because he refers to that as Little Zelensky, right? <laughs> he's like, uh, he's like, where did I put that? Uh, <laughs> uh, there's too many. There's too many shrink ray <laughs> jokes to be had. In the episode, it appears the premise of the show doesn't really involve a shrink ray much at all. He just kind of has a computer that has lots of generic inventions, including the episode on YouTube where it's, it, it's some sort of fish swimming cream that makes you swim good. Oh, fish cream. Yeah, and the daughter uses the fish cream to become popular in high school. And uh, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> we've all been there. And then, and then her and her rival uh, become mermaids, and uh, John Polito uh, kidnaps them to make money for his water park. <laughs> so, so is there some sort of like? Can you can you discern from this one episode? I'm guessing you know like uh, it was this serialized format uh, where the same thing happens every week. Uh, right, right. So give us a, a your guess at what happens every single week. Uh, he's got like a database of inventions and one of the kids just decides to use an invention for some uh, tedious purpose and uh, then it just kind of happens and then uh, you know there's repercussions to this. Sure. It's like a monkey's paw type thing. <laughs> <laughs> Butterfly effect. Perhaps one of his inventions is the monkey's paw, and uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. That would be a great. That would be a great episode. <laughs> so, uh, is is this something that I should really like? Uh, you know, prowl the dark corners of the internet to find, or can I like live my life without watching this and well, kind of move forward? I guess if you're like really into like even Stevens or something, then maybe it's up for wow. you. Yeah. One of the interesting aspects of, about the series for me is the fact that one of the f- original head writers of the series, and I think co-creator, was Ed Ferreira, who eventually went on to be one of the head writers for WWE during the Attitude Era. Oh, that's weird. And was that's Vince a- Russo's like partner, and they both went to WCW. He uh, did that Jim Ross impression of Oklahoma. <laughs> oh Jesus! So he went from you know family television show to the most salacious adult themed writing in professional wrestling. Wow, <laughs> that is unbelievable. What well, I guess it all ties back to the whole uh, you know Stuart Gordon Brian Usna thing. Sometimes when you're into lowbrow trash and things for adults, you got to cross over into the kid realm, mm-hmm. like Bob Saget. Uh, like exactly like Bob said. Yeah, like that farce of the penguins. Yeah, farce of the penguins. What a joy. That's actually uh, Myros made his own top 100 movies of all time list to compete with IMDb, and uh, that was his number one. Yeah, yeah, of course. It Great. beat out the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Well, see, if uh, let me give you an idea as to the writing, the writing caliber in this uh, TV series. Uh, John Polito's water park owner is named Marv Fishland. <laughs> no wonder he wants the fish cream. Right, yeah. It's it's great. Lots of subtlety. That's that's wonderful. Well, I think we pretty much covered all the bases here. I, I think this is the, the, yeah, the lengthiest have, discussion uh, ever on Tony Kids. We've, we've supplanted ourselves as the uh, number one exhaustive source, most comprehensive source of all uh, all things honey. 
Do you think there was ever a point where four people were in a conversation as involved as we were about Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves? I don't think so. I don't think anyone who worked on the film... Where somebody actually got as angry as Steve just got? <laughs> there were probably, like, a couple critics in 1997 that, like, were friends and had to go see it, and were just yeah. like, oh, stupid. But, like, Started a support group. <laughs> yeah. My God, yeah. F- fuck that movie. God, fuck that movie. Well, I, I have noticed a lot of internet outrage that they recast the mother. Uh, the internet's not pleased about that. They're, they're, yeah, that that was the one problem wait with till, that movie. You know, if the mom they, was different, it would have been a totally different ballgame. Wait till right, they yeah. find out about Home Alone 3. Oof. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's that. Look at that's just oh god. That's the next episode. Oh uh, no, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> All right, Myros, what are you putting over this week? I I'm putting over something I would never have thought I'd put over when I saw the the advertisements for it, and yet uh, despite all the hullabaloo around uh, various Netflix shows like Orange Is the New Black and uh, what that Kevin Spacey runs the world. Uh, <laughs> the best Netflix show has quietly become a Will Arnett cartoon about a man with a horse head, uh, BoJack Horseman. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's, it's very excellent. It captures the sort of uh, ennui that uh, you'll see in like a Noah Baumbach-type project uh, mixed in with like uh, an ugly American sort of setup with uh, animal men running about. But, yeah, it's, it's really heartfelt. It's really genuine. It's uh, really... Acerbic, it's a great program. Check it out. All right. Sean, what are you putting over this week? Uh, it's funny you say about Jack Horseman because uh, just today I decided that uh, I was going to make it, uh, put it at the top of my list to watch. Um, uh, but uh, this last weekend um, I watched TIG on Netflix. Uh, gosh, there's saturation of Netflix materials on this put over. But... Um, I watched TIG, which is a documentary about Tig Notaro, um, and that came out Friday, and it's really great. Um, even though I knew like pretty much everything that was going to happen, it's it's just really nice. But uh, then I <clears throat> um, spent the next day uh, reading Harris Whittles's sister's uh, medium piece. You'll like it, Steve. Yeah. Um, uh, her her like uh, not exactly eulogy, but but just like her editorial about um, losing Harris. And then later that day I started reading Joan Didion's uh, The Magical Year of... Uh, the Year of Magical Thinking, sorry. Uh, and that's about uh, Joan Didion losing her husband and daughter. Uh, for some for some real weird reason, uh, even as somebody who hasn't had any like tragic losses, uh, I found myself fascinated... Um, so if any of those pique your interest, whether you, you are really into uh, comedian documentaries, you like novels or or f- nonfiction, or um, you like medium pieces, um, hey, that's that's what I come for. Or they make the, yeah yeah, but they they make a, a nice uh, triptych as well. I heard uh, that that Tig Notaro had a really sexy topless set recently. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. That's exactly how uh, I'd describe it. Yeah. <laughs> the film, too. It's very sexy. Yeah, yeah. Provocative. Oh, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay, Steve, what are you putting over this week? Yeah, I originally was going to put over Bojack Horseman myself, Ooh. but um, I think I'm going to go ahead 
I'm gonna put over uh, the new Tam Impala album. Ooh, controversial choice. <laughs> yeah, and because I want other people to listen to it and put comments, maybe on Facebook or something, because I would be curious to see what the discourse is amongst people who uh, aren't music critics. Because um, I'm having a, I'm sort of struggling to figure out if I myself really like it or if I think it's just way too derivative and sucks. Yeah, I now I mean I haven't listened to it very much. I only listened to it like straight through twice. Oh. oh. No, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I thought, I thought you were dying or something. You're you like, just stubbed his no, toe. I, yeah. I just remembered something I genuinely wanted to put over. Oh, I thought I thought you see is it the kidney stone you just passed? Uh yeah. It's an amazing kidney <laughs> That's stone. That's good. It's good rock there. Uh, I was gonna say Quarter yeah, inch I, I in diameter. Oh Jesus! Man, that's big enough to ride on an ant. Uh, I I listened to it twice through, and I mean, I was like, oh, the production's really good, and these guys are really talented. But I don't give a fuck about this record. That was that was pretty much my impression. What now? Yeah. What did you genuinely want to put over? What I genuinely wanted to put over, actually, now is um, I uh, went to a show recently in Minneapolis. Uh, the and it was their. Uh, I went to see the band X Hex. Mm-hmm. Ah, um, XX. I love the XX. Not XX. X Hex. Hex <laughs> Hex, the bad guy from Bravestar. The E X. No, that's Tex Hex. E X H E X. It's a trio from. Uh, I believe they're based out of DC, but I think they are partially based out of Brooklyn as well. Um, just sort of like a. It's an all got a real Brooklyn sound. All female power pop band. Um and they really kind of blew me away because like I can't think of any other contemporaries they would have now. It's sort of like this weird uh, mashup of like Big Star and the Cars. I think that, yeah, that's a Big fair Cars with, with some like uh, with like some thin Lizzy riffs thrown in there too. Big Cars. There's th- this name. It's right there. It said female power pop. I was really hoping for Banana Rama or something. <laughs> no, X Hex is really good. That album they what did they put out last year or something. Uh, what's it called? Yeah. Like Shredder or something or what's it called? Uh, why am, why can't I think of it? Or Rips? Shredder, Shredder and Krang. And this is all no, like eighties cartoon references. <laughs> that's no, that's Their all. Their whole band is eighties cartoon. No, X Hex is they're they're really good. That's a good choice, Steve. And. Uh, uh, I'm, really I'm, glad, I'm glad we punished you for multiple putovers by berating you for choosing something really good this week. <laughs> ah, yes. Um, but yeah, I, uh, if you get a chance to see them live, actually, um, I know they're on tour right now. I don't know if they're coming anywhere near to where anybody who might be listening to this could see them. But um, really great show. I was pretty blown away. And I went in really not knowing much about them other than like a song or two. So. Hmm. Very cool. I like, I like I like any most every band from New York, so I'll probably dig it. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. fucking hipster. Uh this week I'm putting over the Lakeview Cabin Collection. What's what? that, Steve? Good question. Uh it's a game. It's a horror game, but it's not a scary horror game. Normally, when you play horror games, that's that's what they're going for. There's, the, you know, they try and be frightening, and there's no such thing as a fun horror game that's kind of silly and playful, which is weird because I feel like a lot of horror movies, that's what they actually are. So what this does is it's a series of like small chapters, like mini games almost, and each one is 
loosely based on I keep hearing an echo. Loosely based on an actual horror movie. So the first one you play, it's kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The next one you play is sort of like uh, Friday the 13th. And it's it's just a lot of fun. Really simple. Nice light gameplay. Good is fun. Is this like a, a tabletop game? you got to roll like a 12 No, it's a, it's a video or... game. On oh, one of, those, tour. one of those video games. I one of those video games, yeah. You could play it on your, uh, your Intellivision. No, you can't. Uh, oh. So yeah, check it out. It's good. It's cheap. It's like five bucks. Just buy it. And even Adam Myros's shitbox computer can run it. <laughs> uh, yeah, for now. For now. All right, Steve Coleman, as always, the last word is yours. You, Zelensky, are hardly Einstein. 